Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Catherine Hicks, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feelings about this. So say we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. The God of God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Tonight is episode 77. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And welcome to the diner tonight, where we have a feast of news waiting for you. So how you doing, Miles? I'm doing very well. I'm excited. We, we, we have a nice interview uh, to also share with the listeners, which we'll talk about later uh, with uh, somebody that was in Star Trek IV. So yeah, looking ooh, forward to that. Yeah, we, we, are, we are so stoked about that. This is an interview that Miles conducted. I have not heard it yet. So all bets are off. Um, and, and folks, I, I, I consider myself the uh, Garth of the Wayne and Garth of this team. So, uh, and he undersells himself. He undersells himself too. That is true. That is true. <laughs> but uh, no, I, and I'm looking forward to tonight's episode. How you been, man? It's been two weeks since we recorded an episode here. I know. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, enjoying um, some of the new shows that have been on, which we'll be talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, enjoyed uh, the, the uh, finale to the season finale of uh, Warehouse 13. Um, Ooh, we got to talk can't about wait that. Uh, yeah, so um, we have a Christmas episode coming up of that. I think. I think that's what they talked about: a Eureka and uh, Warehouse 13 crossover Christmas episode. That will be mighty cool. It'll be mighty fine. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into the show tonight. We have a lot of goodness. Uh, by the way, we had a great response to that listener feedback episode we did. A lot of people like that. And I think because we have so much of it tonight again and so much good new shows we want to talk about and discuss that we'll just do that as an entirely separate episode. We'll keep this all, you know, trivia, uh, promos, news and interview. And then we'll do and So I have five and five and then we'll do a separate show that's just all all us talking. Well then, let's uh, let's let's leap into our show tonight. Let's talk about what is on the menu. We have some delicious goodness to serve up, and our main dish tonight is none other than this awesome interview. And who's who'd you interview, Miles? I interviewed uh, Catherine Hicks. Uh, many of you may have uh, watched and enjoyed the uh, family uh, show uh, Seventh Heaven. She played the mama in there. But uh, uh, if you are a Star Trek fan and you know that she also played. Uh, um, uh, uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor, I believe the character's name was in Star Trek for the voyage home. Awesome. So, uh, we, uh, she was at, she was at the shore leave convention and I think she, uh, she was kind of a surprise hit and, uh, at there. Um, she, she, and I think she was, she was surprised herself how, how popular and how well over she was at the convention, but she was a delight to talk to. And, uh, if she's ever at a convention that, that's in your area. I encourage you to to go and, and hear her speak and and chat with her. She's just a very lovely woman. She's a sweet lady, a very mm-hmm. sweet lady. Um, we have, of course, 
the Battlestar Galactica trivia wrap-up from uh, three weeks ago now, and we'll announce the winner for that. Miles has a new trivia, Star Trek trivia here for you guys to challenge yourselves on. We'll give you two weeks to answer that. And uh, some goodness. By the way, um, we have two interviews we're working on, one with uh, Graham Hancock, who is an author, coming up, and also with David I think it was Nike. Not, not, I'm, I'm totally mispronouncing his last name. He'll hate me for this. Uh, he was he was Doctor McKay's assistant in our on on uh, Stargate Atlantis, and he has a new film out. We're going to be interviewing him hopefully next week, so we'll be bringing that stuff to you. But that's not really a menu. Why am I talking about that, Miles? So let's talk about uh, some of the news that we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about Linus and Locke. This is a lost reference. Linus and Locke have a new J.J. Abrams TV series that's in development right now. Nine Inch Nails is developing some science fiction. And uh, Eureka Audience finishes with a bang. Bang, another record for Eureka coming up. Um, we, of course, have Star Trek, if you haven't heard of that, Star Trek. We, of course, have Star Wars in 3D, if you haven't heard that by now. It's news. I'll tell you what, Miles, that's one DVD set I'm not buying. We'll talk about that. Chris Nolan admits that he is directing Batman 3. That just came across the wire this afternoon. And Metropolis DVD is coming out on DVD and Blu-ray. Let's talk about an iconic classic movie in science fiction. This is one that you might want to own. And, Miles, you're taking us up with the twist. You have two pieces of news, or at least I believe it's one piece of news. And what is it, Miles? We'll be talking about a new uh, podcast that our friend uh, Chris Wood has uh, developed. And if you listen to the show, you know who Chris Wood is. Uh, we're going to round out with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. This is one coming from my trenches tonight. It is the five movies that are a must-see for non-sci-fi watchers. And so tried to think about today. So these are fairly current. Uh, none of the classics. But there are some classics that should fit in here as well. But we tried to keep them as current as we could. Not all of them are very current, but... At least three of them are pretty current. So that's our that's our menu tonight, Miles. Sounds like a great menu. It is a phenomenal menu. As we said, we're going to be doing our show news and listener feedback in a separate episode that's going to land later this week, hopefully. Assuming I have time, or it'll, later this week or really early next week, you'll hear it land in the feed. And then I'll be discussing all the feedback, as well as we are going to be talking about our new shows we are watching. So we are not forgetting. We are keeping up with a lot of the new shows, and we want to talk about that. But we'll just do that separately. Well, Miles, take us into trivia. Let's start with last week's, or the last couple of weeks, the trivia question that was on the docket for that. Okay. We asked um, uh, last time, what was Laura Roslin's position in the government before she became the, uh, the president of the uh, 12 colonies? And the answer was? She was the Secretary of Education. And a lot of you knew that. We had tons of people write in for that. What did they win, Miles, the person that won this? What, what, are, what are they going to win? They are going to win the first two books in the Autumn Rain Trilogy, and uh, we interviewed the author uh, a few months back, and uh, yeah, if you're a fan of it, uh, hard sci-fi, you'll like these books. Yeah, David J. Williams, he's the man, and our winner is? Our inner, uh, our is uh, Catherine. Yeah, Kathleen, I'm sorry, Kathleen. Kathleen, gee. Yes. And uh, yes. we will be shipping it out. By the way, I know I'm behind in that trivia send out, so, um, and I'll mention that in the listener episode. I will be getting him out this week, I promise. I have him, I have him packaged, ready to go. I just have been slacking. I'm such a slacker. I am. Well, Miles, you have a new trivia 
that's we're going to give you two weeks to answer. So what does that put us about at October 12th? You need to have this answered by before we record the next episode. So tell us what this new trivia is. Well, we're going to keep it relevant to uh, who we interviewed and what she she's known for in sci-fi. Um, in Star Trek for the Voyage Home, what popular uh, African-American comedian back in the 80s was originally considered to play uh, the cetacean, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, a cetacean biologist in Star Trek the Voyage Home? Yes, and that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. Man, what an 80s flashback. It, it definitely is. Now, what what can they win if they answer this correctly? And this is pretty cool. Uh, they will uh, receive a uh, autograph a picture of uh, Kathleen Hicks, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a really nice nice shot of her there. So it's not just uh, her; it's it. her and Remember? and uh, Mr. William Shatner. It is now William Shatner did not sign it, unfortunately, but uh, you know Kathleen did. Catherine did. And if and if you're at a convention where he is at, um, and if you win this prize, I'm sure you can take it up to him and have him sign it. You'll have a nice uh, set of autographs there. Absolutely. You absolutely will. Again, you have two weeks to answer the question. You can send your answers to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at gmail.com. Call us at 1-888-508-4343 or DM us on Twitter. Please don't just reply to us where everyone can see your answer or post it on Facebook. But we do want to hear your answers, so get them to us any way you can. Anything else about Trivia Miles we need to talk about? Nope, I think we covered it. All right, well, let's move in then to our first promo tonight. And with the beginning of Fringe, I have to play this promo. This is Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. And if you are in the Fringe and do not listen to this podcast, you are missing something. You are missing out. They do a phenomenal job of kind of breaking down the show and analyzing it. And plus, you have to hear a little bit of me. I don't know if that's a little bit self-serving, I guess. But this is, I do a fringe quote of the week there, and you get to hear what I think the fringe quote of the week should be. And uh, I did it all last year, and I'm continuing it this season. It's well worth the listen. So check it out. Come close. I've got a quick question for you. Have you ever felt like you're out on the edge? Let's maybe call it the fringe. I happen to know someone who's fluent in gobbledygook. Well, I might be that guy. I'm Wayne Henderson. And I'm Dan, Metal Dan on Twitter. And together, we are the Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast, devoted to the TV show Fringe. Check out Fringe Casting at mediavoiceovers.com slash fringe, also in iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, etc. Then call us with your Fringe thoughts and theories on our listener line at area code 206 984 one four four six. Thank you for your attention and have a nice day. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We have some awesome news that we are serving you. We're going to start off with our TV news. Miles, it's all yours. Lost fans and uh, fans of J.J. Uh, Abrams' work will appreciate this. Uh, Lioness and Locke team for a new J.J. Abrams TV series. And uh, ever since Lost uh, started winding down, uh, Michael Emerson has been joking about reuniting with co-star Terry O'Quinn for a TV series, which they'd both play uh, suburban hitmen. Turns out it was no joke. 
While we have no idea whether the hitman concept is still part of the equation, the word out of NBC today is that the two men's uh, TV reunion is a go. According to The Hollywood Reporter, NBC has made a pilot commitment to a new series starring Emerson and O'Quinn. While no details have been released, it's been reported that the pair would be playing ex-Black Ops agents. This marks Abrams' second project for NBC, followed up on Undercovers, which premieres tonight. Uh, are you looking forward to seeing Linus and Locke together again for the first time? Man, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about this because, you know, when, when stars work in a series like that and you really get to know them, there's almost a stigma. I don't want to say stigma. There's almost something that you kind of expect a certain interaction from them. And I think it has to be limiting because they because right. they won't fit those expectations. And and they're playing different characters, I would assume. So uh, is, are they going to have that same kind of chemistry that they had on, on the, the previous show? And I did not watch Undercovers, but rumor has it, and the Twitterverse was kind of saying, eh, not the greatest show. Mm. But I haven't watched it, so if you, if you, listeners, if you're watching Undercovers, we want to know what you think, because I'm not watching, it's not even on my queue, it's not going to be on my DVR queue, because I have, again, way too many shows to watch, but... Hawaii Five O's taking over, but uh, make sh- let us know what you think of Undercovers because we aren't watching it. So I don't know. I- I'm a fan of Terry O'Quinn, and I would love to see Terry O'Quinn back in another show. I don't. It- it's too early to tell. That's yeah. basically it. Too early to tell. Nine Inch yeah. Nails. Trent Razor is developing a sci-fi miniseries based on his album Year Zero. This is an interesting concept. The fact that they're going to take a musical album and uh, kind of base a science fiction project off of it. It's kind of interesting. It's amazing. It's amazing where ideas evolve from, and so um, uh, I'm not familiar. I never really follow Nine Inch Nails or the music, uh, so I have no idea where he's coming from, except this description he's given about the show. Right. He's looking pitching. So let's, um, let's read the description here. The Year Zero mm-hmm. miniseries will be produced by Lawrence Bender, producer of several Quentin Tarantino films, and Kelly Brown, executive producer of the series TV series Roswell. Uh, the Los Angeles Times reported Daniel Knopf, Knopf, I guess it is, writer of the HBO series Carnival is writing the script. It's exciting and probably shouldn't say too much about it except that I understand there's a thousand hurdles before anything shows up in your TV listing, Re- Reznor said. Um, and I think I pronounced his name earlier wrong, but Reznor is his name. Uh, I learned that the television development moves at a glacial pace. Does it ever? Nine Inch Nails Year Zero, released in 2007, is a sci-fi concept album set in a dystopian 2022. Reznor said that said in the Nine Inch Nails website that the story deals with the erosion of freedoms and the way that we, the United States, treat the rest of the world and our own citizens. The album was promoted with a viral campaign that included messages hidden on Prince of the Tour t-shirts, a network websites relating to the Year Zero story, and the USB drives containing the songs and hidden messages left in public bathrooms around the world. Interesting. Well, so they have some interesting marketing techniques here, at the very least. Definitely a viral, um, what's another word I'm thinking of, um, uh, guerrilla marketing uh, uh, tactic. But, hey, it works. Yeah, and you know what? And, and I think what's cool is, I mean, this whole dystopian type of future thing, I'm kind of into this. Makes me want to kind of check out the album. I haven't listened to it, but I kind of want to check it out. Maybe and, 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 and the show, kind of, I mean, it's sort of the um, – Apocalyptic type thing, so um, yeah, we all that could love, be interesting. Yeah, we love the apocalyptic type stuff. Well, this is something I'm definitely interested. In. Uh, Eureka audience finishes with another record. Uh, most of the time, 
audiences for shows shrink. Even if they do grow, it's usually for a season or two before it starts to fade. Not with Sci-Fi's Eureka. However, for the fourth consecutive year, the, the quirky comedy historian Colin Ferguson has, has uh, added to its already sizable audience base, finishing with 3.16 million total uh, viewers over the course of last season. That's up slightly from 3.15 million that tuned into season three and, and leaps and bounds beyond the 2.48 million that are uh, – around for season one back in 07, according to the press release from Sci-Fi. Uh, the growth has slowed for Eureka, start, starting with a, a 20% jump in season two, to 6% rise in season three. However, the fact that it's growing and remains one of Sci-Fi's top-rated programs means that there's still plenty of uh, Eureka to go around in the coming years that will remain the network's longest-running current program. The show already has been renewed for a fifth season, something that the network pretty much does without hesitation and will air a Christmas episode in December like a sister show, Warehouse 13. Eureka might be strong in the ratings, but it's not stopping the producers from taking chances. This season, the, the addition of James Callis from Battlestar Galactica allowed the entire show to virtually reset itself. It also featured a crossover with Warehouse 13, bringing Allison Scagliotti in town for a single episode. The show also includes some interesting guest stars, including uh, Ming-Na from Stargate Universe, uh, Will Wheaton from Star Trek Next Generation, Max Frewer of Max Headroom fame, and Felicia Day. Besides Ferguson, Eureka also stars Sally Richardson Whitfield, uh, Joe Morton, Erica Sarah, Neil Greystone, Greystone, uh, Neil Matter, and features Jordan Henson. Oh wow! There's a, there's some big names. I'm uh, I'm ashamed that I haven't watched Eureka. I'm not either. I'm not. It's just too many shows to watch. But oh, I know. Uh, I, but um, I, it, it, I like that my show Warehouse 13 is connected with it. I think they, they sort of help helps both shows out that they're doing crossover episodes like that. Well, and they're both summer shows. They're both they're practically the only new they're the only new sci-fi we get in the summer. <coughs> That's true. That's and true. Uh, and so uh, it's one of these shows I will probably TiVo somewhere someday. And I know that I know that Jen from New York absolutely loves Eureka, and uh, Steve and Terry Miller, who we know absolutely are fans of Eureka. And I just it's not one that I've gotten. Um, into it, I did watch a few episodes. I think last year, so I didn't watch any of the current season. I, I actually heard that people were kind of irked at the alternate timeline thing they had going this year, but apparently that didn't stop people from watching. No, they're not losing any viewers, which is a, which is a good thing. No, that's awesome. That's an awesome thing. So you mm-hmm. know, kudos to Eureka and uh, and uh, I'm just glad that Allison Scaglione is on there. So, Me too. At least for that one and. And Felicia Day. Let's take a moment. Moment moment right here. Scott. Okay. Uh, movie news. Uh, moving on to movie news. This is no surprise. It's like a no-dumb moment. Star Wars is getting redone in 3D with a new theatrical release. All right. We probably all knew this was going to happen sooner or later, but Lucasfilm says it's going to remaster the entire Star Wars saga, the entire Star Wars saga in 3D, and release the movies in theaters again. You can expect Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, to kick things off in 2012, which also happens to be the year of the Mayan apocalypse. Hmm. Depending on your view of 3D, this is either a great moment in the history of Lucasfilm or a horrifying moment with the history of Lucasfilm. Um, Deadline has the details, and here they are. This is the big news, and Lucasfilm intends to make a big announcement about this long-awaited live-action Star Wars saga con- conversion to the stereop- uh, stereoscopic 3D tomorrow. Can you imagine the Death Star trench run and the Tatooine pod races in that format? Yikes. Plus, with Industrial Light and Mag- Magic supervising the project led by John Knoll, this won't just be another cheesy 3D conversion. According to tomorrow's announcement announced by Deadline, 
ILM's visual effects supervisor, Noel, says getting good results in stereo conversion is a matter of taking the time to get it right, applying everything we know both aesthetically and technically to bring the audiences a fantastic new Star Wars experience. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is expected to be released theatrically in 2012. A release date has not yet been set for the other five films in the saga. This is sure to be a cash cow for everyone involved. Star Wars creator George Lucas acknowledged publicly earlier this year that 3D conversion had been stalled but seeing the but seeing that first avatar and then Alice in Wonderland become such successes gave him a new uh, uh, impetus impetus to make the conversion although never a fan of 3D Lucas has said he's been looking for years and years to add 3D to the Star Wars saga but felt the technology hasn't measured up until avatar changed his mind this is something i probably will see in theaters i i think Yes, I think you, you cannot help it. You're going to go see it in theaters. You would be a fool to pass this up. However, I will tell you that I'm quite happy with my current editions of the DVD releases of Star Wars. Right. Now, I might I, buy them. I might buy them on Blu-ray. I might. Mm-hmm. But come on, Lucas. You want me to buy the 3D set now? I'm going to like own a gazillion sets of Star Wars. That's just it. Problem with Lucas is he needs another billion dollars, so well, this is an easy easy way to get it. It's not a problem. The guy's the guy's a wizard. He's he's awesome. I mean, he he knows how to market, and he, and and we're such suckers. We're gonna go out and buy it. And you think the Star Wars? I mean, saga. I mean, the last original movie was out what back in oh? Uh, I'm gonna lose some geek cred here. Um, was you it are. oh oh six? Was the last one that came out? Maybe it was earlier. It may have been. I think it was even earlier than that. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been a while since these movies came out, but that doesn't matter. I mean, time is irrelevant here. I mean, the, the original, the original three was late seventies, early eighties, but, um, are people going to come see this on 3d? Yes. It, this is a, this is easy money. I mean, this is very smart on his part to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, kudos to Lucas for this. And, um, I'm sure because it's Lucas that he will do it well, he Mm -hmm. will do it well. And 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 for you, I mean, this is a you know nice way to uh, uh, interest your, your your kids on Star Wars. Absolutely, and uh, I will be taking them. Both mm-hmm. of them, both of them will have to sit through Star Wars. Yes, it's, no, it's no, a must. no questions. We're already working our way through Star Wars Legos. So mm-hmm. uh, Kiefer doesn't really know how to play yet, but my daughter Tisha loves it. Loves it. Love, cool. Love, love. Uh, we'll take us into this next piece of news, and this is kind of cool. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm very looking forward to this. Uh, Chris Nolan admits, yes, he is directing Batman 3. Everyone's always assumed Christopher Nolan will be back to direct Batman 3, but the man himself has been cagey about it pretty much since completing The Dark Knight back in 08. Well, we can at least breathe a sigh of relief. Nolan confirmed that he will, in fact, be getting behind the camera for his third go-around with a Cape Crusader. Of course, he wouldn't say it straight out at first. Telling Empire, it's become inevitable. I'll put it this way. I feel myself falling into it, I guess, and getting it all figured out. I'm pretty excited about what we're doing. So if I haven't announced it, I think it's People probably all know at the point I'm doing it. When asked if he would take that to me and he's officially really truly directing the thing, no one replied. I think you, you can at this point, yes. The director also confirmed that he is currently working on his own draft of the script, which has been written by his brother Jonathan. No word, of course, on villains, plot, or anything like that, but apparently uh, Michael Caine told BBC Radio that he's been hearing about uh, a May uh, 2011 start date for production and that he assumes he'll be back as uh, Alfred Pennyworth. Bat- Batman 3 or whatever the end 
calling it is scheduled to arrive on July 20th, uh, 2012. Uh, so let the speculation begin. Yeah, yeah. So, Miles, if you had a choice of villains, who would be back for Batman 3 or who would come in? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, the Riddler, the Riddler could be a good choice. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know if the Penguin would fit in well with uh, this more naturalistic um, yeah. uh, take on Batman. Um, but uh, the Riddler is kind of crazy enough that that would probably work. I'm trying to think. Um, the Black Mask is another possibility. So... We'll could, see. Either, either they, way, I'm could sure. they bring in Poison Ivy? I think she's for this version of Batman. I think she's too cartoonish, and I know this is it's kind of funny talking about Batman. Batman is cartoonish, but it just with this with this take on on the Batman uh, genre, it's more naturalistic, more uh, it's very more, gritty, very gritty, very yeah. I, I just don't see her that character necessarily working out in in this in this 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 take of Batman. Yeah. I so. Well, I tell two characters I, I hope will be back, and obviously Christian Bale is Batman, but Morgan Freeman needs to be back, and so does um, and so does uh, Alfred. Absolutely, yeah. they, they do. Michael need to be Caine back. needs to be back. They they just wouldn't be wouldn't be the same without him at the very least. He he is an awesome Alfred. I love him as out. Al- when I picture Alfred, I picture him. There's just no Me, hands him. down. Me too. Hands down. And you know when I picture Batman, despite of what people think of uh, Christian Bale's Batman, I like it. Yeah, I, I thought he made an excellent Batman. Uh, I, I can't wait to see this. I thought last two films were phenomenal. So um, yeah, and they're they're it, both they're both they're both movies that are worth rewatching, in my opinion. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, let's move into a DVD review. This is not a DVD that we've watched, but one that is coming out, and I wanted to share it with you. Metropolis is coming to DVD and Blu-ray. On November 16th, in time for the holiday shopping. Metropolis, of course, takes place. It is the kind of, uh, Miles, when I hear about Metropolis, I think kind of the, of the origin of the sci-fi genre movies. I don't know what you think of, but when I think of Metropolis, that's what I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was there, a, was there another sci-fi movie prior to this, or am I just on crack? Cause this was, this came out in like 1927. I think there have been other ones, but I think this one is a more, to be taken seriously, sci-fi film than right, um, right. In you know, it, it, back, back then, anyways. So, if you're living in a cave and you don't want Metropolis about, here's a quick summary: Metropolis takes place in 2026 when the populace is divided between the workers who must live in the dark underground and the rich who enjoy a futuristic city life of splendor. It sounds a little bit like a Time Machine by H.G. Wells. The tense balance of these two societies is realized through the images. That are most famous among the 20th century, many of which presage such sci-fi line marks as 2001 Space Odyssey and Blade Runner. Lavish and spectacular with elaborate sets and modern science fiction style, Metropolis stands today as a crowning achievement of the German silent cinema. Um, so Kino International is proud to announce a DVD and long-awaited first-time-ever Blu-ray release with new restoration of Franz Litt's 1927 science fiction masterpiece, Metropolis. Now with 25 minutes of lost footage and the original Gottfried Huppert's score. There's 147-minute, wow, that's long, 147-minute versions being released as the complete Metropolis. Open theatrically in uh, April, uh, open theatrically in April 2010, earning Three hundred fifty thousand dollars at the box box office, and um, 
And since its original restoration has gone on to earn over $1 billion. That's a lot of money for a movie. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's up there, that's up there to Avatar and Titanic stat, stats almost. Mm-hmm. If you buy the DVD, what you're going to get is the original 2000, uh, original, original 1927 score, um, the limited edition collectible O-ring, O-card packaging, the Voyage to Metropolis, a 50 minute documentary on the making of, interview with Paula Felix, uh, Didier, curator of the Museo de Cine, Buenos Aires, where the missing footage was discovered, and the 2010 re-release trailer. If you get the Blu-ray, you will also get um, the uh, limited edition collectible 3D uh, lenticular lenticular box packaging and um, and everything else that you get in the regular DVD. It'll just be a high, a high def, so 1080p. So hey, if you're interested. It's worth the while. The um, Blu-ray sells for forty, and the DVD sells for thirty. Hmm. So it might be worth might be worth checking out. So that's our news for tonight. Anything else that I'm missing as far as news goes? I think you covered it. That sounds good to me. Why don't we go into this week in Star Trek? Okay, in uh, this week in Star Trek, I, we kind of want to pimp our friend Chris Woods. Um, a uh, new podcast, uh, Life After Trek. So are you saying and, that you're Chris Woods' pimp? I'm just asking. <laughs> just asking. Uh, uh, we won't go there. That's not the, that's a different show that we do. Yes. But anyways, go ahead. Anyways, um, uh, Chris Wood has wanted to get, he, he of course is the, um, the creator and, uh, main writer for, uh, the, uh, the website Subspace Communicate. But uh, he is now taking on another project where he is uh, interviewing um, past uh, Star Trek actors and writers and other people who helped to make Star Trek happen. Uh, he, he his first interview he interviewed uh, uh, Manu Interiomi. Uh He played uh, Icheb, um, who was a liberated Borg from uh, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, just talked to him about about his experience on the show and, and what his about his new projects are. And I listened to that. It was a good interview. Um, and his new one up is he interviews uh, Larry Nemechek, which I which just came out yesterday. I haven't had a chance to listen to, but I'm going to listen to that uh, later. And so I encourage you, listeners, if you're if you're Star Trek fans, uh, definitely check out uh, Life After Trek. We need to get a promo from that guy. So Chris, if you're listening, send us a promo, please. Yeah. And if you don't have one, eh, record one. So either way, we're going to pick your show. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I believe that's about it. Thank you so much for bringing us this week in Star Trek. Star Trek, before we go into our phenomenal interview that we're absolutely stoked about, want to play a uh, podcast promo from Alex Fenson, who runs a podcast called The New Fars Podcast, well worth checking out. And I thought we'd play this since we have we were talking about some of our uh, listeners from across the pond. And so if you're from across the pond and you're in the New Forest area of England, this is a podcast for you, giving you news, music, and other stuff from the New Forest area. Hi, I'm Alex Fenson from the New Forest podcast, and you've probably guessed from my accent that I'm a Brit. Hey, none of us are perfect. So don't let my accent put you off when I tell you that one of my favorite podcasts is the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, presented by those very nice chaps, Scott Hertog and Mars McLaughlin. 
In the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, Scott and Miles serve up spicy conversations relating to the latest menu of sci-fi movies and television shows, together with interviews with all sorts of people from the sci-fi world and even cast members from well-known science fiction shows and films. If you're a sci-fi fan, then you really need to listen and subscribe to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you're not a sci-fi fan, then you still need to listen and subscribe to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Why? Well, to use an American colloquialism that you lovely people on your side of the pond would use, it's rather awesome. So take my advice and visit www.scifidinerpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, we have a lovely lady that we are interviewing tonight. Let me clarify that you are interviewing tonight. Well, uh, we were at Shore Leaf 33 this past summer. Why do we change the number of that? It's 32 miles. It is 32? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting anxious for 33. Then. Right, right. We're looking, I, did we check what the list is for 33? Not I haven't yet. checked it yet. We, we right, should. All right. You, but, keep, uh, you keep talking. I'll check it. Okay. But uh, we... Uh, um, as, as you listeners know, we've had a chance to interview uh, many great people at this convention, and one of them we're very delighted to bring to you is our interview with Catherine Hicks. Uh, for for Star Trek fans, uh, she is no stranger to Star Trek. You know her in, for her work in Star Trek Vo- The Voyage Home. And if you're a fan of the show uh, Seventh Heaven, then you definitely know her, her character. She played the mother there. And what's great about this is I just found her very uh, unassuming and very um, – she was just almost surprised that people were still interested in what's going on with her career, with her life, and uh, I just just fell in love with her. She was just she was she was great. And another another thing that was great about this is, you know, she she had brought like actors bring their their their, their, their autograph pictures to to sell. I mean, and, and uh, autograph for, for uh, the fans there. Well, she ran out. She, I mean, people. They, they they bought them up so so fast that uh, they actually had to find one of the vendors to to buy some pictures so she'd have some more pictures to autograph. She was just a huge hit at this convention. And uh, like I said before, if you have a chance to see her at another convention someplace, uh, you need to do it. Uh, we talked about, of course, Star Trek IV, um, uh, her work on um, on Chucky, um, and just uh, yes. Star Trek Four, Chucky, but uh, you know, uh, we talked about that. We talked about um, her experience on Star Trek Four. What inspired her to do it? Actually, you know, it, it, it inspired her to take more of a proactive role in uh, in, in the crisis that uh, uh, Star Trek Four addresses. Not not in a heavy handed preachy way, but just just to let you know. So, uh, we are delighted to uh, ha- have you listening to this interview with uh, Catherine Hicks. I can't tell you that. But if you let me finish, I can't tell you that we're not in the military and we intend no harm towards the whales. Then what do you In fact, we may be able to help you in ways that, frankly, you couldn't possibly imagine. Or believe, I'll bet. Very likely. You're not exactly catching us at our best. That much is certain. I have a hunch that we'd all be a lot happier discussing this over dinner. What do you say? 
You guys like Italian? No. Yeah. No. no. Yes. No. Yes. I love Italian. And so do you. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, take a special person who could do uh, horror classics, Star Trek, and a long-running successful family drama and do it well. We are speaking with such a person today, the lovely Miss uh, Catherine Hicks. Miss Hicks, welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I'm very baffled and mystified by how you reach so many people on the computer, because I haven't entered that world yet. Uh, we've been very fortunate. Um, we, we get about an average of 600,000 downloads. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Right, so the internet's allowed. Yeah, internet's good. Amateurs like us to you know, yeah. do this thing. Yeah. I had a chance to watch your Q and A session yesterday, and, and loved it. Thank you. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I I don't know. You just go out there and hope you'll think of stuff. I, I think everybody loved it. I, th- I think so too. Thanks. Star Trek uh, Voyage Home is considered a favorite among fans. Um, what was it like working on Star Trek Four? Uh, well, what was fun for me is that I didn't know anything about. Star Trek. I didn't watch the series. I didn't, I don't know, I was in school or something, you know. So when I went to audition, I, you know, I read the script and I thought, this is a great role, you know, I don't, you know, it's a Star Trek movie, but I love this character and that she loves the whales. And um, so I really worked hard and I auditioned with Leonard Nimoy and I didn't know what a transformer was. I was reacting to something real tall and sparkly and he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what, what do you think a transformer? Transformer is. I said, I don't know, like a big Christmas tree. He said, no, no, no. And he went over to his desk and pulled out this little thing. And so, I mean, uh, it was all a big uh, um, discovery for me. And I think it worked for the character because she didn't know anything either. Oh, yeah. She was totally innocent. Yeah. And I, and I think that was actually good that I I didn't have to pretend that I did not know what was going on. I, like I said to Bill and Leonard before a take, um, you know, where we beam up, I said, what should I be playing here? I mean, what does it feel like to beam up? And they said, it tingles. <laughs> so, you know, just fun stuff like that. Like a Wonderland. I felt like Alice in Wonderland. What was Leonard English directing style? He was very calm. He's very, uh, very calm, very intelligent, very gentle man, um, very wise. So uh, it was very, you know, deep and, and calm. Now, you told a great story about how you kind of take your life in your hands to film this one scene. I know you already told that story yesterday, but for the sake of our listeners, can you, can you tell that again? Oh, well, um, when I jump in, when I bump into the invisible spaceship, you know, no, nobody know, knew how we should do it, so they thought, well, tie a rope around her, and then when I come to the end of my rope, I'll naturally be pulled back, and it'll look like I'm, I can, I just ran into something. Well, I got nervous before the take and I wrapped the the, um, the rope around my finger and so uh, instead of my waist getting the full thrust of whatever my weight times my velocity was my finger got it and it was uh, it, all, it could have come off but it didn't and we stopped and everybody tended to it and I ended up playing it um, I said let me try one take where I just you know stop myself and that's the one they used so we didn't need to do the rope at all. It's amazing how we as the viewers don't know how often you actors have to take your life in your hands sometimes when you film something like that. Well, yeah, like my first job after New 
York, I was doing a TV movie with Steve Gutenberg, and you know they had me dive into a, a lake, and no one had checked it. It was one foot deep, but it was all mud, so I didn't hurt myself. But if it had been rock, you know, I, I would have been dead. Um, I would still say that they don't protect actors. Um, it's you know um, you just gotta you gotta really protect yourself on a set. Mm-hmm. I heard while you filmed your scene with William uh, Shatner, you did a little improv that kind of surprised him a little. Uh, can you tell us what happened there? At the end? Yeah. Yeah, well, I just thought we had been through so much, and I, I had felt that it was a romance, in a way, you know, that I definitely, I mean, the dialogue, I mean, we were, it was written very sort of sweet and flirty, and and we both shared the, 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 the poetry of William Blake, and I just, um, I thought we, sh- I thought I should kiss him goodbye. I thought we should kiss. Um, so I, I put that in where I, I kiss him and whisper in his ears. I wanted something to be sort of sexy and close. Hence the surprise. Remember yeah. Surprise again. Yeah. He. I think he. He. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think he. No. He didn't see it coming. But um, you know, I know the actor in him thought it was a good choice. I think it was too. After the movie, you took up the cause that your character was uh, taking on. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I didn't want to be just this actor who's like talking about the whales while the movie's being promoted and then do nothing. So I joined with Greenpeace and spent a couple of years actively helping. Um, they're a great organization. And, you know, really, they killing whales was on the decline because of all the protests around the world, largely due to Greenpeace. And, and uh, now, um, as people probably know, it's very shocking, but, you know, killing whales is back again. It's back on the um, upswing, and it's just unbelievable to me. I don't think we, we know what's going on. I mean, no, they, they like it in Japan. They make money off it. It's a delicacy, and, um, you know, I would suggest always, like when I work for Darfur, um, if, you know, if you send $10 to Greenpeace, it'll really help. If anyone there really wants to do something, it's hard to take time, it's hard, blah, 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 but it's very easy to write a check and go online and find out Greenpeace, and the money really helps. It helps in Darfur when people send money to Catholic Relief Services or World Hunger. You know, it goes to the camps and helps feed these people who are displaced. It's better to do something than nothing. I'm glad you're saying something to bring some awareness to this. I think it's something... Well, it's one thing, you know, to me, it's one thing to be aware, but in a way it's bullshit unless you do something to change the situation. And um, the easiest thing to do is is write a check, you know, and I think everyone can do that. We're, you know, we're, we're not ter- we're not in dire straits. We're, we're in bad situation now in America, but it, America's never as bad off as other nations. Um, can you tell us uh, what are the future projects we can look forward to seeing? Well, there's a bunch of um, independent movies I've done um, that I'm forgetting. I just finished two in Los Angeles. Um, my, the, you know, you'll have to... I don't Don't they have something where you can look up my name? I, I am, IMDB. I am what? Uh, Internet Movie Database. Oh, yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> because uh, I'm just blanking. I did one last week and the one week before. I have a, a lifetime thing called Stranger with 
my face and a couple of webisodes uh, my name is Jerry other films so I'm just doing whatever you know comes along as long as I don't have to kiss a girl or take my panties off right. I heard you say so yeah, I, I think this is a great story for our listeners how you met your husband well um, I, uh, I another great role that came my way was playing this mom and it was a horror film but I was in denial like yeah I know it's a horror film but I really want to play this role and uh, it was well written we had a good director great producers and Chris Sarandon who's like very valid actor and um, we were in Chicago doing all the scenes you know um, between the boy and him and myself and then they said you know they reminded me when we get back to LA we're going to you know then we're going to deal with the doll I was like oh great Chucky yeah that's going to be fun so I go to set and um, they say there's Kevin Yeager he created the doll he's only 25 years old I looked over and I was like the cutest guy I've ever laid eyes on in my life and I I went oh my god so every time Chucky came near me Kevin would have to like put the bite marks on my arm or get the doll and I would just get so nervous and so I began to like Chucky very much and uh, we ended up uh, at the last at the wrap party um, I said do I just couldn't I I will never see you again we never even spoke but I like your doll and anyway we got together and um, I, I insisted he take my phone number and we've been married 20 years this May congratulations thanks <laughs> uh, I gotta tell you when I saw Star Trek for the first time I saw it in a theater in Brooklyn New York yeah and uh, people in Brooklyn New York are a little different than being by Pennsylvania after they saw the movie we all applauded oh that's so great yeah my dad's from Brooklyn Bay Ridge yeah my family too Bay Ridge 89th Street and Ridge Boulevard um, my family was living in the 70s I have oh. people lives uh, on Shore Road Shore Road oh, yeah. know it well so no, that's, that's great yeah so that's all I have thank you so much for your time Well, Miles, that was an absolute phenomenal interview. I'm so glad that you got it. And unfortunately, I was off teaching a podcasting session somewhere. That's okay. It's okay. Well, before we wrap up the show, we got to give you our sci-fi five and five. And this is one from moi, from me, uh, basically. Although you did help me with the last two here, so I'll give you a little bit of credit there. Give credit where credit's due. These are the five movies that are a must-see for non-sci-fi watchers. And I tried to pick fairly current ones because, you know, you want to kind of lure them in gently and then sock it to them once they're watched. Here, right? So uh, <laughs> that's right. One, try and get them in. So these are the top five. I'm going to stop at number four. I'm going to stop. I'm going to start at number five and work my way up. And uh, these aren't really in any particular order, although I think that the order is probably pretty good, actually. I think it, I think it's, yeah. I might, I might flip number one and two, but that's just personal preference and anything. But, mm-hmm. okay, so number five, this is probably an older movie, and I this movie signifies the year I got married. So it tells you a little bit how long mm-hmm. I've been married. This movie is none other than Independence Day with Will Smith and... And uh, Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman and, oh, so many great actors. Adam Baldwin is one of his first movies. Mary, Mary uh, McDonald oh, Mary, from – Yeah, from Battlestar is in that. I forgot. Battlestar, yeah. Yeah, she's in that. Mm-hmm. Um, a really good – oh, Data's in that. Data's in that. 
Brent Spiner has a, has a good part in there too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of neat little roles in it. It's a movie that's well worth it. I have it in Blu-ray and it's just great. It's just great to see the White House blow it up. <laughs> great, great, great. I'm going to get banned. We're going to have the FBI knocking on my door soon. Uh, anyway, Homeland Security is on your tail. They are already. Um, the Matrix is number four. I debated putting this one in. Um, I feel like it's accessible enough. It was one of the first defining movies that, movies that if you had a DVD player back in the day, this is a movie you had to own because it was just rocking. I have watched this movie a gazillion times, and it still holds up. It's a fun movie to watch. And I I don't know if we would draw someone that's not into sci-fi into it, but I liked it. I put it there. Um, number three is Wally. Wally's just a touching story. You don't have to be a sci-fi fan to love Wally. Right. Uh, Star Trek 11. Hey, I think that this is a movie that if you were not a Trekkie, you could still go and love this movie. I agree. Yeah, a lot of good dialogue, good casting, and and some good action, and enough of original track uh, stuff in it that that you would like it. And of course, there's nothing for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And number one was Avatar. Avatar is my number one movie. That hey, you do not have to be a sci-fi fan to like it and appreciate the message and appreciate the beauty of this movie. And I guess over two billion dollars doesn't lie. Right. So a lot of people like this movie, and not all of them were sci-fi fans. A lot of people went and watched the movie and liked it. So, mm-hmm. so those are my sci-fi five and five. It's a good list. It is a great list. If you are interested in contributing your list of whatever sci-fi five you want to, you know, commit to, you can email them to us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can also call in at 1-888-508-4343 or email the MP3 to us and we'll play it on the show. And we've done all sorts of versions of that before. And, uh, so that's, that's about it for that. That's a good list. I like that list. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and rewatch Independence Day now. <laughs> I don't know if I will, but I want I want to do it sometime. Well, we got to go ahead and wrap up the show, and uh, and uh, I believe that's it. We'll give you all our digits after the show here in just a little bit. So, Miles, why don't you wrap us up? Okay. Until next time. Good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, please visit scifidinerpodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci-Fi Diner. You can also find the Sci-Fi Diner where else, Miles? We have a Facebook fan page, and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page, and let's talk some sci-fi. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's uh, Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. And I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter, and I also am uh, on uh, Trekspace, uh, Son of Worf at Trekspace. And, Lee, and we want to hear from you. So please email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or call our listener line at 1-888-508-4343 and let us know your thoughts of what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you. Do your plays, study your monologues, the good words, because then when you get in the real world, the, the dialogue is awful. <laughs> Nothing like Tennessee Williams. <laughs> Thank you.
I love this. I love the scene where you guys are uh, arguing over Italian food in the truck. Uh, yeah. I know, isn't that funny? They had lived that. We didn't have it scripted. It was that. That was all. That was excellent. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I watched that. I watched that movie, uh, you know, a couple of dozen times. It's, no. it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun and funny and meaningful. Yeah. Uh, have you um? You mentioned yesterday. Are you doing anything? I, I haven't reconnected with that. Not now. I did then, but maybe I will now. My daughter just graduated from high school. Maybe, maybe I can have the time now and do something. Yeah, terrible. You thought of doing like a whale watcher's calendar? Yeah, something. That's a great idea. Because I'm looking for a project for that to do. And you mentioned something about that yesterday. That's a, that's a great idea. Thank you. That's a great.